Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, my friends, to today's episode of Everyday Truth. It's been a while since uh, you've been able to see my face because I've been recording in some places that I just couldn't do a video. Of course, many of you are listening on an audio uh, version anyway, so you never see my face. You're not missing much. But uh, for those of you that are watching, welcome back. I have a postcard here from the Ironwood Christian camp in the middle of the desert of California, but an amazing camp. Had a privilege to be there a couple weeks ago with my friends, Matt and Irene Connors. Uh, Matt and Irene serve at uh, Faith Baptist Church in Canoga Park. They brought a group of teenagers to the camp, and they are two of, hope you're listening, Matt and Irene, they are two of the very best people you'll ever meet. What a great spirit they have. Love the Lord, great marriage, great family, and just encouraging people. So Matt and Irene, thanks for the postcard and your friendship and your encouragement, and I hope that things are going well there in Canoga Park. Hey, we're in Jeremiah chapter 5, and we're in a section where Jeremiah is just frustrated because there is nobody in Jerusalem that is an example of righteousness and of devotion to the Lord. Jeremiah finally says in verses four and five, "Well, I'll get the I'll get me unto the great men. I'll I'll go to the people that no doubt should have a testimony for the Lord. That no doubt should be a follower of God and His Word. And what does Jeremiah find? He finds that even among them, there's nobody. I think about that great prophecy of Ezekiel when he said, "I sought for a man among them that should stand in the gap and make up the hedge." Uh, stand at the gap for the land, make up the hedge. But but I found none. I found none. And that's what Jeremiah is saying here. I found none. Uh, the city is just in a place of complete apostasy. That's not to say there aren't, there aren't religious people. There are. That's not to say that there are not prophets. There are certainly people that are preaching what they say is a message from God, but nobody that's authentic. And Jeremiah is just frustrated by it. Watch what the Lord says in Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse number 6. Wherefore, so that's a word of transition and conclusion. So based upon what we've learned in verses 1 through 5, that there is a dearth of righteousness and of righteous people, wherefore a lion out of the forest shall slay them, and a wolf of the evenings shall spoil them. A leopard shall watch over their cities. Everyone that goeth out thence shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many and their backslidings are increased. So we've talked about that word backsliding, how that it is specific to these prophets, Jeremiah and Habakkuk and this period of time where the people of God are not going in the right direction. They're backsliding. And the promise of verse number six is that punishment will come. Now, that's not God's desire. God's desire is not that his people would suffer physical 
trauma and punishment for their sins. He wants them to respond to his word. He wants them to turn at his rebuke. But understand this, when we don't listen to the voice of God, then God loves us enough to bring physical difficulties to get our attention where the word should have done its work. In this case, he talks about the lion and the wolf and the leopard. And these are symbols of the fact that one day Babylon will come like a lion in strength or like a leopard or a wolf in its desire to uh, raven the, the, the ravage the prey. The, the point is this, that it's a precarious thing. It's a dangerous thing to rebel against a holy God. And God is going to use these enemies of God's people in a way to punish them. That's what Habakkuk did not understand, by the way. God had to teach Habakkuk, I use sometimes the most unlikely of resources to get the attention of my people. Look at verse number seven. How shall I pardon thee uh, for this? So it's a rhetorical question that that the Lord is asking. Boy, you've really gone way too far. How can I forgive you for this kind of rebellion, for this kind of turning from me? Now, obviously, we know the Lord does forgive, and the Lord has forgiven some pretty wicked situations in people. I think about Nineveh. But the point here is that God is justified. He's justified in his actions. He's justified. Matter of fact, his mercy, his long-suffering has been extended so much How shall I I pardon thee for this? Thy children have forsaken me and sworn by them that are no gods. When I had fed them to the full, they then then committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlots' houses. Now, I think we've talked about this a bit already, but the adultery here and the harlotry those are strong words, obviously, that the Bible is referencing here in verse number seven, refer to spiritual adultery. Remember James four and verse four, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. So certainly when our hearts are turned to idols, we are committing spiritual adultery. But remember as well that the pagan gods in the land of Judah the gods of the Canaanites and these gods like Baal and Ashtaroth and these other gods, the, the worship of these gods involved prostitution, the temple or ritual prostitution. So there was both spiritual and physical adultery and prostitution taking place. And God is highlighting just the severity of that sin to them. Look at verse number eight. They were as fed horses in the morning. Everyone neighed, that's the sound of a horse, after his neighbor's wife. So we see in Jerusalem, in Judah at this season, the breakdown of the most nuclear institution, and that is the family, that marriages are falling apart. Men are looking at other men's wives and adultery and and the moral fabric of society is breaking down and God says the foundations are destroyed. Uh, the, the, the mark of the degradation of any society is when the, the 
the building blocks of that society, like marriage and like the family, are broken down. And that's what's happening here. Marriage and, and the family have been ravaged by sin. And Jeremiah is there just bemoaning this and seeing that there are no good examples that are remaining. Verse number nine goes on and says, shall I not visit for these things? It's a, it's a rhetorical question the Lord is asking. So isn't it justifiable that I would deal with this? Uh, should I not be handling this with a strong arm? Is it not right for me to punish for the, these egregious sins? Uh, it's almost as if the Lord is saying, you know, what would you do? I mean, this is obvious. If people are sinning to this degree, if people are this calloused toward the word of God and toward the mercies of God, then shall I not visit for these things? Verse number nine, saith the Lord, and shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Is this not the right thing to do? And of course, it's a rhetorical question. Of course, the Lord is doing the right thing. Of course, the Lord is justified in these judgments. Would you look at verse number 10? Go ye up upon her walls and destroy so here's the way by which God is going to visit. Here's the way by which God is going to judge them for their egregious sins. It says, go ye up upon her walls and destroy, but make not a full end. Take away her battlements, for they are not the Lord's. So how will God visit in judgment Jerusalem? He will allow her to be destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem shall be torn down. And typically, if a city was destroyed and its walls, the only defense for a city, its battlements uh, were destroyed, then that city would never have any hope of restoration. And yet that's not what the Lord says here. The Lord says, I'm going to allow the destruction of the city, but not to a full end. No, there will still be a season of rebuilding. And I will still be faithful in my covenant to a remnant. So even in destruction, even in judgment, there is this silver lining of mercy from the Lord. How good is God? Verse number 11, they have, they have belied the Lord and said, it, it is not he, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword nor famine. In other words, they, they've turned God into a liar. Because the prophets of the city, not, not Jeremiah, but the other prophets have been telling the people, oh, no, no, judgment's not going to come. Don't, don't, don't worry about that. that. That Jeremiah, he's just a doom and gloom preacher. God, God won't judge us for that. Look at our beautiful temple. We'll never lose this. So why were the people persisting in such rebellion? Why were they not, why were they not seeing the urgency of the situation and the depth of their sin? Because there were religious people in their lives telling them, you're fine. It's not that bad. You're just like everybody else. Don't worry about it. Do you see a correlation there, by the way? Don't you see that in our nation? That our nation, who would have thought that we would be dealing with the kind of immorality and the kind of God rejection that we're seeing all about us? And yet there doesn't seem to be an urgency on the part of God's people to get right. 
or to pray for revival. And one of the reasons for that, perhaps, is because the religious establishment, and I use that word loosely, is not decrying the sin of our generation. It's like it's no big deal. We're fine. It's okay. God would never judge us that way. And I, I feel as if we're we're facing some of the same kinds of religious apostasy that they faced all these many years ago. Would you look at one last verse just for sake of time? Verse number 13. And the prophets shall become wind. Wow, what a statement. The prophets shall become wind and the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done unto them. But don't think just because these false prophets can preach with authority or preach with popularity that uh, they are going to be effective. Because the bottom line is it's the word of God that's effective. And these prophets, they're like wind. In other words, they're substantive. They're substant. Boy, it's been a long day. They're substance-less. They're not substantive. How's that? The point is, like wind is just hot air. It just, it just blows in. There's no substance to it. So these prophets have nothing behind their words. And they shall themselves be the objects of God's punishment and wrath because they have a double culpability because they have told the people it's not going to happen when indeed it will. So we're going to end there in verse number 13 for today. Sorry about the tongue-tiedness today. I'll try to do better tomorrow. But we'll begin in verse number 14. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.